Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Concept Aware. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. Here, I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I utilize my trademarked framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered. This framework heavily influences how I conduct interviews. By identifying the layers within each guest's creative process, we learn the choices and decisions that move their abstract idea into a tangible object. Today, I welcome Elizabeth Clark Leibert to discuss Boy Crazy, her bold investigation into the tender and terrifying emotional awakening and breaking of generational trauma instigated by the raising of her school-age sons. I wish to extend a trigger warning to alert listeners that we are discussing aspects of the impact of sexual trauma. While the issues we raise are challenging ones, we do not discuss specific incidents of trauma. We focus on the layers of creative choice and artistic process, making possible meaningful collaborations. This masterfully designed book engages us in exploration by providing a poignant and potent mixture of visual and emotional language. I see it as an invitation to challenge conventions, assumptions, and responsibility, a call to brave vulnerability, reclaiming agency, and fostering brave and essential conversations. We're so glad you're here. Let's begin. Elizabeth, your inaugural monograph is a diaristic conversation with yourself, initiated by a lived experience, one that has touched all areas of your life, the internal and the external, the historical and present moment. Boldly, with raw, authentic vulnerability, you lifted pieces of a puzzle rendered dormant and in shadow up to the light of the day. It is the norm for an overwhelming incident to weigh down memories and for emotions to become tangled with ambivalence. The raising of your two sons sparked your recent investigation into the insidious nature of sexual trauma. And your courageous exploration meant bringing light and voice to each of the scattered puzzle pieces that you illuminate in Boy Crazy. Your book is the result of identifying the layers of social conditioning, gendered assumptions, and the role of power to hold hostage unspeakable secrets and the human response to be challenged to share these truths. I applaud your brave exploration. It entails knowing you will create discomfort as you repossess your own power of knowing and acknowledging the dissonance. Dissonance is the state of tension between the real and the unreal and finding our way between them. You made the choice to break a lineage and pose questions, even those without easy answers or neat solutions. But to ask the questions, begins the chain of change. The questions you pose in Boy Crazy revolve around two central issues. How does misogyny get seeded and flourish? And how to raise boys who do not grow into men capable of harming women? Your book feels comfortable in your hand. The soft cover encases the thread-bound binding holding together segmented sections, each containing a diverse arrangement of paper of varying weights, colors, and sizes. The vivid hot pink of the hand-drawn text of the title is splashed across the saturated, bold blue hue of a highly contrasted, slightly redacted image of your son's. The whole package is an invitation to a mystery. 
Inside is a potent mix of self-portraits, environmental portraits, seasonal landscapes, and family snapshots offered in differing sizes and formats. Interspersed are intimate musings that include text from journal-like reflections, text of valiant emails sent, and quotes from pointed conversations with your sons. The pages of your book aren't numbered. The images are untitled. And these creative choices lend themselves to offer your reader a mysterious and somewhat staccato effect. However, this is so purposeful and instructive. Your reader has to grapple with disparate parts to assemble a clear picture. It is not lost on me that this animates your own journey of discovery, of naming, of reclaiming, of having power over your choices and agency to move forward. Not in isolation or silent confusion, but moving through the questions with love for yourself and the accompaniment of those you love. So I see Boy Crazy as an offering, a gift on many levels, a springboard for those willing to really look, to challenge conventions, assumptions, and responsibility. You give us a visual and an emotional language. You hold space for the deep tenderness of coming of age and our lifelong journeys of awareness. You use the words written by John Steinbeck in East of Eden to convey this, quote, aching kind of growing. Welcome, Elizabeth. I am eager to spend time learning of how this book came to be and what it took to tell your story. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, listening to that is just, I'm so touched, I guess, overwhelmed. It's a lot to digest, but it was beautiful and I guess just so considerate and thank you I mean, it makes me feel like un like you understand it and have clearly spent time with it and it means that means a lot to me mm -hmm. so I'm a little emotional but mm -hmm. thank you that is uh... well I can tell you that I um don't obviously take this subject lightly. I share with you in being a survivor. Um, we will not go into details and statistics, but there's too many of us and each story is really, really important. I feel that the way this story unfolded is kind of achingly beautiful. And what you put your reader through in terms of almost drops of information, not in any specific chronology is genius. So, so for me and what we do on this podcast is really unpack your creative choices, how concepts develop and how a project formulates. So, so if you could bring us to the, the impetus, the etiology, and we can walk through that, I would love that. All right. Um, I will try my best. It it was a very sort of vast and overwhelming and complicated project or journey to go on. Um, but the conception of the project started back in right at the end of 2019. And at that time, my two sons were in early childhood around two and four, really kind of three and five. And um, I had always, you know, always photographed my sons. And but one day I was just editing images of them and a particular photograph of my younger son uh, physically triggered me. I had a wave of nausea um, as I sort of realized that this, um, that he visually looked like somebody that I experienced trauma with back during my college years. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were some other um, 
issues or or a parental awareness items that were sort of coming up for me. I was becoming more aware as a parent of their more stereotypically boy behavior. So in that way, I mean that they were playing these more aggressive, violent games that looked like war and they were just getting more physical. Mm -hmm. And so I started at that point, I realized what does it mean that I'm raising these two boys? I have a trauma from my past that I, you know, I just, this specific awareness of my fear of them becoming like that perpetrator mm-hmm. just really fully registered with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really the starting point. And um, from there, I started to photograph them in nature with this emphasis of my ambivalent perspective as a parent trying to include both my awe and adoration for them because they Mm. of course are these beautiful children and still quite innocent Um, but also this sort of growing dread and anxiety of my personal fears from the experiences that I had mm-hmm. um so I focused on that for a couple years the photography and image making and placed them decide made conscious decisions to have them out in nature um and to create this sort of metaphorical Eden that they mm-hmm. played amidst and at some point I um realized that I had a body of work that I felt was important and started to work on getting it seen and some feedback and a book made. And the second half of the project, the more internal, personal investigation of my trauma came once I started working on the book, Boy Crazy. Mm. Um Interesting. And just a note, um, in terms of getting it seen, I assume that's a portfolio review or workshopping, or did you come to that conclusion? Like, this is a, it's interesting, because it was a project that you were, as you said, ambivalently involved in. So (laughs) it's, I always say as a reviewer, and certainly in my concept aware, classes that when we're working with the creative process, it's a sacred space because it's so much calling to be uh, with your vulnerability on the table in the prints, etc. So did you reach out specifically to have it seen? Um, I did sign up for a few portfolio reviews. I actually believe I met you at maybe it was the New England portfolio review through the Griffin. And so too. No, in the really early days mm-hmm. of the project. And um, I've always been somebody who like or seems to end up working on projects that are personally charged and challenging to work my way through mm-hmm. um so I knew I it working solo on your own in isolation it, it's almost impossible to get to the meat of the project but I remember you talking about punctum during our meeting and I think that so going to other people and getting feedback and having conversations really helped me navigate and sort of find the driver and sort of the necessity of the work that had to be done Mm -hmm. creatively and in my own life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I just tend to use art as a way to process um, everything that's that's going on in my life. (laughs) Well, I think that's wonderful. And I'm glad you brought it up because basically that's the, the part of photography where it's actually a tool for our own self-awareness and and seeing which i think is fascinating right it's mm-hmm. seeing outside of ourselves completely stirring up what's going on inside ourselves or potentially right. what we're not seeing right mm-hmm. um yeah and is 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 obviously brave and when did you conclude it was on its way to a book 
making a book has always been a dream of mine. And I had given up an opportunity to make a book with my thesis work that I did back in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was afraid of at that time to go through with it for various reasons. Um, but so that was one part piece of why going about this project, I knew again, I had something important that I wanted to work on. And I, it was just a sort of personal goal of, I want to make a book. I thought that the work had promised, but I had no concept of what that would look like. If you had asked me before I started working with other professionals and artists, what this would look like at the end, it would have been so far from what it is right now. <laughs> um, so, but I, I decided to take a workshop to start off with taking a workshop with Melanie McWhorter um, on bookmaking. Um, and I will also say this was all during the, the time of the pandemic. So I got to do a lot of these online uh, Zoom classes, which mm-hmm. was wonderful and got to meet so many people. Um, and then from there, I decided to research some designers and had seen a talk with um, Caleb Kane Marcus and loved his work, loved the books that he had made and the other artists that he worked with. And I just liked the way that he talked about his process. So I reached out to him and we started working together. And then from there, <laughs> we there was a we had started with just the imagery and we're discussing different ways to bring in context, but mm-hmm. the project really didn't sort of explode and become more explicit. Um until um, Caleb suggested I talk to Jonathan Blaustein, who I'd also had a meeting with um, through a portfolio review and really kind of had um, a good rapport with. And we started working with him. And that's where uh, he encouraged me to start including my own writing. And that really kind of opened up the floodgates. Mm-hmm. And did, I guess what we're looking at is this intersection where, well, I guess I have two questions. I'm backing up to when you said the missed opportunity in graduate school. Mm -hmm. Did that have to do with trauma or something deeply personal? Or just something? Nope. Uh, Okay. There were two elements. No, thankfully it did not. It just, I had heard, I do want me to skip it. (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't need, I don't need to know. I just didn't. What happened is that in this second round, when you were gathering the courage and, and moving through, you were expressing the level of ambivalence and, uh, I'm not, you were not only expressing the level, you were expressing the reason there is ambivalence. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through the idea when you chose to speak out to um, put this heap of ambivalence with a lot of layers of emotion that go with trauma from, you know, shame to regret to rage to et cetera as something shared. That was a big decision. So I, I'm not sure if it came up with Caleb and then next step, Jonathan, or like, I don't know where that move into that new space of kind of exploring with happened. Does that make sense? I would, it, I think that started happening when the three of us, myself, Caleb and Jonathan mm. worked together. Jonathan started probing with certain questions to really get at the heart of the ambivalence or um, the sort of hesitation and the darkness, if you will, of Mm -hmm. the work. I will, I specifically remember he said one, had one question about question or comment about these images that I was making of my sons, um, you know, they're 
there's shadowy, there's a lot of darkness in it. And I was talking to him about how I I think I might've mentioned a word, something like apocalyptic. And he's just like, it is a little strange to me that you have, that you think that your children are doomed. Why do you think they're doomed? And it was just that simple. And I was like, well, duh, because X, Y, Z. And Jonathan said, you need to give that context. So let's, it's clear to me that you have a lot to say about that. And I think you need to, share it and we'll decide what to do with that down the road but let's let's go there (laughs) and then there was a lot of encouragement and support and because I had a lot of fear about them sharing it to the public that was another Mm -hmm. huge hurdle the writing it was freeing on one level but then again I had to deal with yes major fear and concern and shame and how to handle it being published. Absolutely. Thank you. That's so helpful because basically what you're also describing, and I, I love this. um, I often say in teaching and in consulting, it's if you are in conversation with your work, the work will lead you through. It's this idea of being able to see. And so your work was talking and, and you got that amplified to the point that like, boom, 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 there are the puzzle pieces that go together. Right. And that's so important. And then you obviously were in a place of trust of your team to make those choices about what goes in or what doesn't go in. And that's where I go back to the, um, it's interesting as I tried to describe the book, because my experience was, wow, the editing, wow, the sequencing. And it's because that whole idea of, of I felt almost parsimony. I, I really was impressed with the staccato of the writing because you give us like pieces that can feel like, like you're getting like, wow, like it's like, it's, it's like wasabi, like it's like, it really <laughs> hits, but it's very, but it's very like, um, I love that. Yeah. It's like parsed out and, yeah. and, and then there's something lyrical and, and just the way that you really capture the kind of pinball that we can go through in terms of our own feelings and understandings and reactions. Um, it, it was really Interesting, interesting. Um, so I'm curious for you, um, what the editing process was like. Well, so with the writing, um, I'm I'm thrilled that you noticed the, as you put it, the staccato wasabi <laughs> aspect of it. Um, I, I, you know, it is raw. But I did try to mix that sort of raw emotion and hurt and anger with then this more loving and romantic language. Um, I tend to vacillate between those two spaces, I think, Mm -hmm. with so many aspects of my life. But um, in terms of editing it, there was, I basically, once I started to write about it, I just sort of let the words flow. And we did many, many revisions, a lot of cutting down and culling, um, and just sort of kept doing that. <laughs> there was a lot of editing, <laughs> but it was good. We had, we had group meetings, um, at certain times we would have them more frequently. And then sometimes if I was on a roll with creating, we would, they would give me a little bit more time and then we'd come back and review it all and figure out how it fit in with the rest of the work. And figuring out the structure of the book was definitely a challenge to mm-hmm. how to sort of keep it contained. At some points we thought maybe this would be three like separate books within one mm. envelope. We weren't, we, 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 
experimented with a lot of different final forms for this, but mm. eventually decided on this sort of three part, but throughout very, um, I like that you said puzzle like, and so there's elements of it that we wanted to keep it flowing and mysterious. Mm-hmm. and yet still telling a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you totally succeeded. And this idea that you experimented and refined how to animate the layers of the concept, like the content and the concept, uh, it's always this call and response. And you mm-hmm. have to be open to it, which I love because the fact is, it changes as you are relating to it. And um, this is such a good example of it. So I love um, the end papers. And so, okay, before you even get three pages in, you have set up a mystery. Um, So you can help us understand how they came to be because they're visually really engaging, but you know, there's a wasabi hit. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) And then you go to the next one and it's like, okay, I kind of, there is this grid of headshots. And I feel like this speaks to me of a yearbook. It speaks to me of family photos. It speaks to me of um, lineage and heritage. And, and it's actually also great colors. Um, And so how did the end papers get so specific? And and then in the back, a repeat, but different. A lot of asymmetry in here that works beautifully. Um, So this is a really good example of the call response that you spoke about um, with all three of us. But the... So the text for that first end paper pages, mm-hmm. which has the um, has various medications and psychological and physical symptoms, I had originally had this as a list in my overall text document that I thought might live in the text section. I wasn't sure, um, but Caleb thought it might work for an end paper. And he designed Mm. this Mm -hmm. visual masterpiece. (laughs) Um, So this is his work with my text. And Mm. then shortly after this was created, I had told him that I had this art piece in mind that I wanted to bring in visually. And I remember speaking with him and telling him about it verbally and him saying, I, you just got to make it because <laughs> just talking about it isn't, I, I don't understand what you're visualizing in your head. So I finally mm-hmm. made it. And I think it, it, in terms of the, the actual um, graphicness of it, these sort of like little puzzle pieces and the repetition mm-hmm. um, definitely it, were insp- it was inspired by his piece. Um, however, it was also a, a piece of work that came after doing all this personal exploring um, that later work and I call it generational motif. So Mm. you touching on that idea of legacy definitely hits uh, one of the threads in the work. Um, It does include portraits, school portraits of my sons and my Self and one of the perpetrators. It also includes a headshot of my mother during the time around when she was um, had her trauma. So there's as you get into the book, and I don't mean to jump ahead here, but there are multiple storylines of trauma that range from my mom's generation <laughs> through me, and then thinking about these future generations. So this sort of sets the stage, I hope, Mm. for these sort of future threads and themes. But it is meant to be, you know, show emotion, but not really tell you what's about to happen. Yeah. And again, the very slight use of redaction adds to the mystery, Mm -hmm. but so does the um, iconography. There's a 
uh, 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 looking saint-like, but looking a lot like your son's imagery. Mm -hmm. So that is the, um, oh, it's a picture of a painting of the baby Jesus. And that is a very commonly reproduced image. Um, mm -hmm. But a funny little story with that is that my, I see an acupuncturist who I love and is basically like a therapist to me. <laughs> and when she learned that I was working on this project, she gave me this piece that is framed that she had found at a yard sale or mm -hmm. something along those lines. And she's like, I just feel like this wants to be with you, this baby angel looking over you while you work on this. Wow. So, yeah. A I, talisman. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I was thinking um, one, I've got two thoughts at the same time. One is I just want to make reference because I was so intrigued about what is and isn't in this book and why what's in there is in the book um, that I counted the imagery by 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 content um, so that I saw that you've got five older family images, you've got nine self-portraits, 33 images of the boys and eight of nature. And it's that blend that that is so important and putting it together Again, I feel like you had as much editing to do visually as you did with the text and that you kept that same very tight handle on it of giving enough to, to, to just like, it's very lyrical. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. Thank you. I, I wanted there to be a balance between that lyricism and as I said, more raw emotion. And I, I think it's mm -hmm. funny that you counted each piece because <laughs> I actually don't know the tallies <laughs> on it. I think I went about it a little bit more from an instinctual place. Although mm -hmm. Caleb might know because he was dealing with the page count and sometimes I'd say, okay, we need an extra image here in order for this layout to still work mm -hmm. um, with the bookmaking aspect. Um, mm -hmm. But on the whole, I just, wanted there to be flow and balance and this sort of like ping pong ball between again I'll just say the romance and this sort of like shaking um tremor cracks mm. throughout that sort of what was the fault line that mm. was making its way and, and sort of corroding and breaking into this sort of romance with my children um that was the goal <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow and I love the description that you you say of breaking into the romance with your children it was like that part when you picked up the mantle of motherhood for all of the heaviness it includes mm -hmm. of like, wow, um, their future is in my hands, but also how they think of themselves, their place in the world, etc. cetera. Um, what's really interesting, I thought too, was how you, in the writing, I appreciate that you brought in a timeline that dropped us into the fact that when you were experiencing the sexual trauma incident of college, it was pre-internet, it was pre-Instagram, et cetera, which I think is really, really important. Um, and I just wanna raise a couple things. One is your self-portraiture in the book and wondering whether, I mean, it's obviously you had taken self-portraits before, but I wondered, and not that you have to ask, answer this point by point, but it was like, you left me to wonder, I mean, there's obviously some portraits of you as a younger person, but those others, it was a mystery to me when you took them and why. Like, I didn't know if they were a separate practice. I didn't know if your investigation led to using self-portrait as part of the unearthing and journeying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
I honestly can't remember where along the journey I decided to look back into my box of old self-portraits, but somewhere when I was doing the writing, uh, but yeah, I dug out my whole, I I've made self-portraits my whole life. And mm-hmm. so that was, it was actually really interesting and slightly horrifying to look back at those pictures and to sort of be coming at it now from a much more aware and grown up place mm-hmm. and to realize what my younger self was thinking. I also, I didn't include this, but I, I have some journals too. So I was reading my voice from back when I was around 17 and 18. And to be honest, it sounds exactly the same. So mm-hmm. that was its own little um, bit. Of, I guess it was sort of exciting and comforting, but I knew that it it seemed like it fit so well and was important to bring in this sort of older self, mm-hmm. my child self, because I realized that this was becoming a project about self-forgiveness and mm-hmm. sort of sending love to that earlier younger Liz Mm. um and then I decided so a lot of this sort of last section of the book I know you brought up asymmetry but I was thinking about it as a bit of mirroring in a more maybe positive or not positive but intentional and sort of with my own more aware agency um manner, if you will, the sort of conclusion of the book. Um, so I decided that I would take updated self-portraits with this sense of evolution. Mm. And so when I took, yeah, I think when I was younger, and I still work this way, but most of the stuff that I was taking, I wasn't overly analytical about it. I was working mm. in a... <laughs> just instinctual, playful way. Mm -hmm. I wish I could still work in such a playful way, to be honest. (laughs) But um, so now, and and those were the pictures that were sort of taken. And and, some of the, one of the storylines follows this, where some images that I've made without too much thought or awareness were stolen from my, at that time, computer. And so now with the making of this book, I had an opportunity to really think about how I wanted to share these new self-portraits of me. And so one example um, that I'll quickly talk about is another recent image that I'm particularly proud of, which is I entitled Self by the Bougainvillea, which is an image of me, again, redacted with this sort of like pink uh, staccato noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally I was going to include that picture fully nude, but it was nagging at me and I realized I don't feel fully comfortable with that. I just, it needs something shifted in order for me to feel like it is right and I feel comfortable with it. And it was echoing these other parts of the book where I have conversations with my sons Um, And so, yeah, so I made that final image. I made those decisions to have it displayed in this way. And it just, it felt like I was kind of coming full circle and regaining Mm -hmm. my agency. And Absolutely. What I'm thinking of is that you chose a boundary. You chose a limit. You put Mm -hmm. what you wanted in terms of your own self-protection first. Um, And I'm curious because... There's a lot here, but your 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 conversations with your sons, I, I feel like um, that was surprising and um, kind of wonderful and infuriating all at the same time, um, in the sense that the the ideas that came up when I was reading them is how early. Um, status and acceptance or being liked or attracted to and, and kind of gendered assumptions are all there Mm -hmm. (laughs) at such a young age. And you really worked with that. So, and, and bullying actually came up. Mm -hmm. 
It did. Um, so I did decide to, uh, that I wanted to give them a voice and some mm -hmm. agency in the book. Uh, this was a challenge that I realized I wanted to meet on two levels, which was to give them a voice through both their own, whatever they had to say, but then also decisions on how the final book was shown. So I actually, mm. we went through all the pictures of the book. They do not know the, the diaristic writing um, fully yet. They do know that their mommy um, dealt with a bully and mm. some you know mean men, but we are working on having those conversations now in a way that is more age appropriate. But um, so I went through all the images with them and recorded also their aunts, this conversation about, are there images that you don't feel comfortable with? Um, and those conversations are uh, included um, in this sort of central little booklet of interview text with them. But I am now losing my track of train of thought here. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> what, what's interesting is there's um, your conversations. I'll just underscore your conversations and inclusion of your son's thought patterns are 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 doing several things at the same time. Yes, it's giving them agency. It's also breaking the lineage. You are talking in a way that you didn't get to talk about some of these things. And you're, you're mirroring things that are going to expand their understanding of their own agency. Um, so that's what I think also happened for me, this staccato landing of so many um, insights and emotions. Um, and, and I have to tell you that um, in addition to having had my own journey, I uh, have my own uh, uh, work as a social worker, um, a graduate degree, and working with people, literally uh, working in uh, domestic violence, child sexual abuse, some other very heavy spaces. So this really, I came into it with my one piece of my head as a social worker, and then all the other ways in which creatively and design-wise and visually and written, you are just like, it's like an orchestration and it's hitting like the different sections of an orchestra over and over. And I just find that that part masterful. But what I wanna to reflect to you, um, I reached for a book I have by Brene Brown, who is a social worker and um, has written several books and really zeroed in on vulnerability um, as being such a touchstone for us to deal with our own emotions. And what I appreciate is I feel like you gave yourself and in turn, you also gave your sons, but you're giving your reader some emotional language. And so the words that kept coming back to me are ambivalence, accountability, apology, and acceptance. But what was really interesting is, um, in addition to counting <laughs> the mm -hmm. images, etc., I just kept writing words. Like I do many passes through books to sit with them and and really enter the work with you. And um, I just kept writing words, words that came to me and I could share them, but we don't have time because there were 40, <laughs> 40, 40 different words, like boom, there, boom, there. And um, in, in Brene Brown's latest book, it's called Atlas of the Heart. She wrestles with the fact that when we, when there was research done, people like spoke on the most basic level and had like nine emotions, like I'm mad, I'm sad, like I'm happy. And when they dove into it, she was able to unearth 150 um, emotions and experiences. And so I find it rather incredible that you brought up like, you know, a third of those <laughs> in this parsimonious book. So I really, really appreciate that. And, and we didn't get to talk about the back end paper and what I call the valiant text and that decision mm -hmm. that in this process, you all also included uh, communication with your perpetrator. So if you want to just talk about that for a moment um, yeah. or how it came to be part of the end papers, I think that's- So that was another 
crazy and very important part of this journey that I had no idea I was going to embark on <laughs> when just photographing the boys. Um, but I had been grappling with this it, this uncertainty and really embedded, deeply covered anger that I had with the perpetrator for 20 years. And I can't remember if Jonathan suggested it or if I threw the idea by that it might have been him that he's like, what would happen if you reached out and asked him? And I probably dismissed it at the time, but I realized why not? <laughs> and um, so I made that decision to reach out and I, I figured again, it was like, I could do all this work and then decide what to include and what not to include down the road. Um, and yeah, ultimately I, decided to keep notes during our phone call. I actually asked to record it, but he did not wish for me to do it. I'm, I actually probably could have at that time. Regardless, these last, the end pages, which I meant to say again, mirroring the first, the mm -hmm. earlier end pages mm -hmm. um, are quotes from the, no, I took down sort of detailed notes as he was talking. It was the only thing I could really do because I was so sort of, frozen um, and overwhelmed, which I also write about um, in the text. I write about my response to it. Like I journaled to that day a lot. Um, and so these are all little quotations from our conversation, all things that he said. And originally, again, with Caleb and Jonathan, we played with where can these quotes live in the book? Mm -hmm. And at some point I thought we Caleb and I moved it towards the end of the book but then I said can we keep, could we have this mirror the sort of symptoms and prescriptions that I have been struck you know the symptoms that I've been struggling with and this pre prescriptions that I've been given in potentially an effort to help with those symptoms um these quotes and this memory may have caused those so it's sort of again this call and response and the the echoing and mirroring of um the trauma and the this apology mm. uh for like these the um what I had to deal with from the trauma if you will so mm. but I, think... I was Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, um, in terms of that apology, I still think about that, and I and I'm ambivalent about how I feel. I think I'm not sure I will ever feel, be a hundred percent sure whether or not it was genuine, but I am mostly grateful that I at least sought after it because prior to this project, um, I definitely, this anger, I remember when Me Too happened, like I, whenever the thought would creep up or the memory would creep up, I would get so emotional and so angry. And then I would just shut it back down and say, just don't want to think about it. And it, it was preventing me from sort of engaging with school classmates or going to reunions and those sorts of things. So I, I, I just feel very grateful to myself for mm. um, deciding to take it into my own hands and pursue some answers, even if they weren't answered. Mm. At least I reached out to try to figure it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really very, very poignant and, and brave and smart and mm. true about what it um that cycle, you know, that's what yeah. I talked about again in the beginning, this idea that then it becomes our burden. Like, I know I'm going to make you uncomfortable because I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to do this. And it's like so we have to jump over another hurdle. But I, mm -hmm. I want to bring in just a couple of quotes because I think it's um, foundational. Um, one, in terms of speaking on um, on trauma, um, when I. Uh, 
when I am working with different subject matters for the books that we're talking about, I, I, I try to like also follow the dots of what's the information out there. And I came up with a, a resource I had not heard of before. Uh, it's an online one called Everyone's Invited. And it's actually out of the UK. And it's a vir virtual space to tell your story. And of course, there's tens of thousands of stories on there. It's also about help. And they have a, an excellent definition of rape culture. And I think it's important to share it when we're talking about this. And their description or definition is, quote, when attitudes, thoughts, or behavior within a society or environment normalize and trivialize sexual violence. And then just in terms of your working with it, um, in my Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown uh, book, she describes um, actually how she used in her case, she describes uh, abusing substances um, and this idea of, of binge drinking, which is so, so outrageously prevalent in colleges, like crazy, and especially, thank you very much, in the United States. Um, so the quote there is that uh, Brene Brown says, it's awful that the same substances that take the edge off anxiety and pain also dull our sense of observation. We see the pain caused by the misuse of power, so we numb our pain and lose track of our power. And lastly, her definition of vulnerability. Um, which is, quote, there is no courage without vulnerability. Courage requires the willingness to lean into uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So that's, that's what I think is so amazing um, because you do offer hope. And, and another definition from, from Brene Brown is hope is a function of struggle. And so I applaud that you got in to the weeds of your own personal struggle. Um, and it is, you know, trite to say the truth will set you free, but in many, many ways it has. It's also breaking lineage, which brings me to your mom and how your mom is woven into this story. And if you want to say anything about that. Um, I would just say that was another unexpected and very powerful I don't want to say result, but part of, I guess, but I don't want to say, or maybe it's domino effects, a result. Uh, I didn't know or have any idea that it was going to happen. Um, and I, it actually was one of those reaffirming moments that I was on the right path, I would say mm -hmm. as, as well, because I've, so in the book, I talk about how she knows that I'm making the work and comes and knows that I've had this conversation with my perpetrator as well. It happened right after that. And she said, you know, I have a want something. I want to share something with you and I never have. And I just I feel like this is the time is your your project is making me feel like I, I need to deal with this mm. myself. And mm. she shared her story of. Uh, rape and trauma that occurred during her years of college, which so you know, it's like echoed mine in so many ways. And on the one hand, I was, it, it was, it took, and I'm still processing it to be honest, but I realized in that moment that the work that I was making was generating movement and ideally healing that needed to take or that I wanted to take place and mm -hmm. was sort of finally yeah it was just I don't it necess not necessarily breaking free, free but it was reaffirming the importance of it even mm -hmm. though it was very, very challenging. And so I was so grateful that <laughs> this was brought to light and was part of the project and that hopefully, yep, that there will be change or just more mm -hmm. awareness down the road. And I, I, the book, I will just add that I, the most rewarding aspect of this book continues to be these conversations that are now sparked with 
my family members and those closest to me. Um, I, I love having conversations and connecting with the community at large, but really the ones with those that are closer to me, that's where it's, it's the hardest probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and those are, it's just, it's, it's been an agent um, in helping me have those harder conversations and more Mm -hmm. challenging conversations. Well, also, I mean, I've thought of a few things. One is, you grappled with such uncertainty at kind of every step of this process. So kudos to you. And when I say the truth sets you free, I don't mean it's like, woohoo, there we go. I'm done. (laughs) That's done. You know, yeah, that's like, you know, it's in your bones. It's with you for life. And I get it. It's what you do with it and how it works. But um, what I think also what is so uh, wonderful is that by breaking through, um, you break through the isolation and the isolation is like, it's like a bell jar of shame and a bell jar of like, how do you then like for me to tell my truth, I'm going to make you really uncomfortable. So you have another thing to contend with. And so this idea that you break the isolation and you are free to have those secrets shared and you feel wholly seen. And I think that that's so, so, so major and, um, and ironic. Um, That is really, that is one of the biggest discoveries that I have come to from this process that I keep coming to over and over again. And I feel like every time I come to it, I become stronger. It's this, I just keep thinking, uh, it's moving past. I keep thinking about shame is just such a huge part of it. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like, I say it's like a cyst, this, this, this voice of shame that the healthier I can become, like, let's say the healthiness comes from having conversations and confidence mm-hmm. and agency and connections mm-hmm. and understand with other people that helps my skin or what my body become healthier mm-hmm. and the cyst becomes more dormant. But mm-hmm. if you start to listen or pay attention to that cyst, it aggravates and grows and it gets mm-hmm. inflamed and it's like, you just Anyway, I st- I really, I believe in everything you just said about this bell jar of shame. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, the idea that I think, and it goes back to what I was trying to say with the puzzle pieces, you are creating a wholeness by sharing that and by bringing what was in the shadows to the light. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you breathe into the change and then that breath does become stronger. You can take Mm -hmm. deeper breaths in that new territory. And that is so freeing to not be under that bell jar and as scary and challenging as it is, it's so much more terra firma and you aren't alone. I think that's so, so important um, how isolation, I mean, bullying and shaming is all about that. And, um, and that's very hard for us uh, as humans. Um, one thing I want to do is um, make a nod to something as, as we wrap, because I, I, I loved this. <laughs> it was like, again, um, we're talking about a pretty um, challenging subject matter, but you were able to weave in hope. You were able to weave in almost humor. Um, It definitely helped us reflect on so many levels, whether you have been a survivor or not. But what I loved is that you had the QR codes at the back and that not only did you give us a a link to resources, which you can augment and and Mm -hmm. we will make a list of resources that come with every podcast. And I will put in Atlas of the Heart and I would ask you for any other books or uh, artwork, uh, whether it's fiction, nonfiction that inspired you, but then you also put in a playlist, which I flipping loved. And I was so intrigued because I've often said this, but music gives us a portal beyond words. And I, I love that the titles of some of the songs, um, 
the the content of some of the songs just are a mashup of ambivalence right it's that push pull of attraction and sexuality and sensuality and and like that borderless romantic love and it's like boom boom just like the staccato of the book so kudos on that playlist and thank you for that thank you i'm so happy you noted that because that was very important to me to include mm-hmm. and I think I I don't know I live my life feeling like it's a sound like there's a soundtrack for everything <laughs> and um and I, I do and I listen to the music while I'm while I was working and this mm-hmm. playlist really bring I looked back at the music that I was listening at listening to during those years and Mm. it was it was wild to me that the songs really kind of had to do with all the themes that I'm exploring and so I had fun with it but I also and I I love all the music on it so if you want to get a glimpse into what kind of listen music I listen to uh there you go and it is definitely you know a time stamp as well truly (laughs) but it it totally does. Like we're probably introducing a whole new audience to Radiohead, but it's like, you know, it's... Ama- perfect. That is the, <laughs> makes the making the book worth it as well. <laughs> they need to know. <laughs> totally. Totally. There are some things pre-internet that we need to share. Um, one thing I want to say, and, and I do want to do this in closing is um, I want to share a poem. And ironically, it just came into my world this past week. I hadn't known about this author or this book. We'll, we'll include it. The author is Emery Hall. And um, I think this sums up so much. Uh, it's a poem that is um, entitled, I Have Been a Thousand Different Women. And I think this again, um, speaks to whether sexual trauma is a part of the makeup of your life or not. Uh, It's all women. And it says, make peace with all the women you once were. Lay flowers at their feet. Offer them incense and honey and forgiveness. Honor them and give them your silence. Listen, bless them and let them be for they are the bones of the temple you sit in now, for they are the rivers of wisdom leading you toward the sea. That is, uh, makes me very emotional. <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfect. What a, thank you for that. Yeah. That well, is just perfect. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm reading it. it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's like I'm reading it and I'm like, wow, this would be a very long tattoo. But it's like you need to be reminded of this often. And I really appreciate, again, in the spirit of hope and and living through uncertainty together, um, you give a similar message at the end of the book and talk about being brave together. I I think that's beautiful. And one last word, because I am a wordsmith, but the one that keeps coming back to me is sovereignty. And I love that word. And I love that it has rain, R-E-I-G-N in the middle, because I think it's all about owning in a positive way, your whole territory, the whole landscape, um, and making those choices like you did with whether or not to redact part of the self-portrait. So um, wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad that um, you made this book and that it um, deals with this human, human element of just evolving and, and, and coming to terms. Frankly, if you're a man or a woman, uh, it is not gendered that we're constantly um, asked to be more expansive in our awareness. So I think you mm-hmm. hit a lot. Um, and and even, um, even this topic and this kind of working through it was fun. The design mm-hmm. and the creativity and the courage, um, well done. 
Thank you. All I can say is thank you. <laughs> so grateful for this conversation and and all the wonderful, complicated conversations you have with artists. I I love it. Mm-hmm. Love looking at it, love reading it, love experiencing it, and um, then doing my own work. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I'm very excited for where this leads because your next body is going to be informed by this body of work. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Sim. Thank you for joining our conversation. As I noted in my introduction, I utilize aspects of my concept aware framework to identify layers of creative choice, within the process of developing an idea into a book. I'm excited to offer two online workshops introducing aspects of my concept-aware framework where we will unpack specifics on how you see and why it matters. You can find details and registration under the services tab on my website, jsibillasmith.com. There you will also find specifics on how to work together and examples of my experiences as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. And lastly, I hope you visit our archive of over 70 concept-aware episodes where you will find summaries with hyperlinked resources from our conversations. If you enjoy our podcast, please follow, subscribe, rate, and review. We love to hear your feedback. Also, please connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage in a global visual culture conversation. Thank you for joining us.